Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus Podcast, Macro Matters Edition. My name is Ira Jersey. I'm the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. I'm joined today by Noel Hebert. He is the head of credit strategy for Bloomberg Intelligence. Noel, thanks very much for coming back on the Fick Focus Podcast. Always a pleasure to be here, particularly uh, <laughs> this kind of volatility. So, <laughs> yeah, there, there's not a lack of things to talk about, but but I think the you know the 800 pound gorilla obviously in the markets right now are central banks and the Federal Reserve. Just yesterday, uh, we were recording on the 16th of June, 2022, um, and the Federal Reserve hiked 25 basis points yesterday, but. The tone was dovish because Jay Powell, after uh, after the statement and in the press conference, said that they wouldn't be doing 20, 75 basis point hikes all the time, saying that they would not be a common occurrence. Um, and the market kind of took that, at least initially, on the dovish side, but subsequently this overnight and, and this morning as we record, um, the bond market selling off again. You have 10-year uh, yields back up toward 3.4% and two-year yields up above three and a quarter once again. Um, and the market's still pricing more or less for uh, for hikes at just about every meeting through March of 2020. So um, still a pretty hawkish outlook for the Fed. But the, I, I think the question for um, for the rates market at the moment is is how quickly do financial conditions deteriorate because we have the equity market continuing to be volatile down over 20 percent. We do have corporate credit spreads that since the beginning of the year have widened about in, in the investment grade sector 50-ish basis points from around 90 basis points at the beginning of the year to 140 basis points um, as of last night's close. So you have significant tightening of financial conditions already. Uh, retail sales came out weaker than expected, but you did have the CPI print for May that was substantially above expectations. And uh, and the market is pricing for 9% year-over-year inflation prints for the next couple of months and and largely due to the significant uh, rally in, in oil back up toward $125 a barrel. So when we have such significant volatility, I think it's important and that the thunder and uh, <laughs> having a thunderstorm right now as well. So um, kind of going along with the volatility in the markets, the, the storm that's brewing there. Um, you know, our, our view, Noel, is, is that the, the Fed might actually end up having to hike more than the market's currently anticipating. So maybe to over 4%. At this point, to four and a half percent, perhaps, which uh, is not unprecedented by any stretch of the imagination, but is not something that the market's been used to for the last uh, for the last dozen years or so. You know, as we as we move through a significant hiking cycle and we try to get inflation under control, how does that affect and how has that been affecting the corporate bond market, both the investment grade and the high yield market, in terms of um, kind of kind of overall market volatility and, uh, and and pricing? Well, so I guess badly and badly in a number of ways, right, would be probably the simplest way to answer that. I mean, so purely from a pure performance standpoint, obviously, we've got like mid-teens declines year to date in investment grade. We're down a little over 10% in high yield. 
Uh, and a lot of that is obviously duration driven, but you also had mentioned the spread back up in investment grade. That's been problematic. And in high yield, we're wider by about 200 basis points, also impactful. Uh, but the other place where we're really seeing it play out is in the new issuance side. I think earlier in the year, you know, investment grade was largely keeping pace with last year's uh, rate of issuance, but that's slowed down materially as rates volatility has picked up over the last several weeks. And high yield, I mean, that market hasn't been shut per se, but it's been uh, largely inaccessible for much of the year, both given the, the market volatility as well as the inflation dynamic, which has pushed at least earlier in the year uh, people into the loan space now just you know, borrowing overall is problematic. And we're seeing, you know, deals that are sort of stuck in the supply chain having to come with pretty material concessions just to sort of push across the finish line. So, you know, it's definitely, you know, a market where a lot of participants are, you know, to your earlier point, we haven't seen this in a long while. And I would argue that a lot of the people that are in the marketplace right now have never seen it in their professional careers. Uh, so there's definitely some uh, teething pains going on right now. So interestingly, let's talk a little bit about the the, the supply issue. So so obviously, you know, supply slowed down. You don't have the same type of um, issuance that we've had in the past, which which should structurally and and just from a technical standpoint be be a positive for the market, right? Just the the, the fact that you you know still have people who are forced buyers of corporate uh, corporate debt that um, that that just don't have as much supply coming into the market, and and perhaps some maturities rolling off or, or rolling down to say under one year to maturity, so they have to sell those and then find other places to invest. But from a from a techno from a fundamental standpoint, is that is that problematic? What what's the maturity picture look like? Like how much debt has to be refinanced? I guess number one and number two, we had heard you know back in 2021 that there were a significant amount of companies that were pre-funding some of their maturities for 2022. And, you know, has that actually been the case or is there still kind of a wall of maturities that we have to worry about at some point in the near future? Yeah, I mean, the wall of maturities argument is always, you know, I think in the 20 plus years that I've been doing this has always been sort of one of those mythical creatures, right? Because it's like everybody's always refinancing that and the front end of that wall and the wall always keeps getting pushed out. So, Barring some sort of like 2008 financial crisis type of thing, typically you never find that wall or never run into it. Um, to your first point, I mean, high yield was definitely very, very proactive. So last year was, you know, a record year for new issuance in the corporate space, also very active in loans. Like there's basically no real maturity calendar to speak of uh, through the better part of 2023. So it's a pretty mild uh, sort of refinancing environment for high yield, broadly speaking. Uh, in investment grade, you know the the calendar's also his, you know reasonably light by historic norms, but you also don't necessarily worry so much about them being able to access the market. the The question I think becomes for the investment grade side because so much of the last several years has been spent in terms of financial engineering. A lot of the capital got raised was to sort of rejigger the balance sheet, you know, pay dividends, do that sort of stuff. So the question is, is as some of this paper comes due for the companies that have reasonably healthy balance sheets, which is quite a few of them, you know, do they just sort of redeem the notes and fail to sort of roll it out and refinance, hoping for maybe a better rate down the road? Or do they actually just tap the market and sort of take on the added interest expense relative to the maturing paper uh, and, you know, just sort of bite the bullet there? So that'll be, I think, one of the interesting things to watch on the investment grade side is whether we get contraction in the index uh, because companies increasingly turn to just redeeming the paper with cash on hand. 
so what does that do for you know whatever investment thesis you might have? So so if, if we're right mm -hmm. and and the Federal Reserve hikes to you know over four percent, you wind up having probably a, another uh, leg uh, uh, flatter in the yield curve. Um, you're not seeing much of that in in recent days because I do think that it's been the consensus trade. So a lot of people are in it. So it's just been a little bit more difficult for for the curve to to uh, to, to flatten significantly and invert. But I think eventually it will. Um, you know what it what is what does that do to corporate spreads then say in the second half of this year mm -hmm. as the Federal Reserve continues to hike say at fifty basis point pace at just about every meeting if not every meeting um, and uh, and and you know you have a, a significant bear uh, bear flattening move as well. So I mean we'll break it in uh, as we always do into investment grade and high yield. I think you know investment grade part of that's going to come down to what the shape of the curve is. Uh, you know, as you noted, we're a little bit over 140 basis points in terms of spread there now. That, to me, uh, absent a re recession, which obviously is is sort of top of mind for a lot of people, is kind of fair value. I could see us, you know, test as wide as 160, 165 in a recessionary backdrop if it's not like a real severe, like because 200 basis points, which you periodically see, is very unusual for the market at large, and you still have sort of. The while the Fed puts sort of put away, uh, you know, that's still sort of in the background. So I don't know that we get like a real big blowout and spread from here. But, you know, if you do get that sort of four percent and even if the curve's inverted, you know, you're that's still another eight or 10 percent downside on investment grade from where we're at. And so that takes you from mid teens to sort of low to mid 20 percent declines. Uh, high yield, a little bit of a different animal, uh, you know, spreads there. Uh, oddly resilient in the sense of even though they're 200 wider year to date, you know, just inside of 500 basis points still is not crazy wide. I mean, we've definitely seen just cyclical non-recessionary type spread movement that goes as wide as 560, give or take. So, you know, I would look for certainly a test above that. And if we are indeed sort of like heading into a recessionary thing, then you can get well above 600 basis points, which <laughs> combined with sort of the rates backdrop, uh, you know, again, sort of you're not quite doubling your losses, but you're going to take it into the high teens from, you know, the 10% neighborhood that we are now. So I think, you know, rates is going to be the big driver spreads for investment grade, probably, you know, not, I'd call it neutral to maybe a little bit painful from here, whereas high yield, I think there's still a fair amount of pain left in terms of spread widening as we sort of move through this cycle. So even though the inflationary environment's been very high, and obviously that's the been the topic du jour for basically since last November, is is there uh, any sectors that wind up doing better or worse in this type of inflationary environment? You know, obviously the energy sector maybe is doing okay because of where oil prices are. Cost of production not it hasn't necessarily gone up a whole heck of a lot. Um, but 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 outside of a couple of obvious ones like that, are there any sectors that are doing particularly good or particularly bad in this uh, in, in this type of inflationary situation? Well, I mean, I think we're waiting. I, I mean, the sector that I'm waiting on to maybe turn the corner here is a little bit of financials, right? Because philosophically, they should be doing better with the higher rates environment. But I think people are also worried about the quality of the balance sheets there. So that's sort of a wait and see. Uh, but as you move through, I mean, again, because historically, we'd be talking about recession in combination, maybe with a stronger economic backdrop. So you could argue like, OK, I'm looking for capital goods or I'm looking for consumer cyclicals. But because this is sort of a, I, I don't know, a through the looking glass kind of a world that we're in right now where we've got the inflation plus what looks to be more of a slowing macro backdrop, uh, it's, you know, those sort of pro-cyclical plays outside of, as you mentioned, energy and maybe basic materials. It's a little harder 
know, to sort of tease apart who wins in that backdrop. You know, philosophically, technology should be relatively insulated, um, and they've been an underperformer here to date. So the question will be, you know, for them is more geopolitical and supply chain oriented. But assuming some of those things sort themselves out, uh, that would be a sector that should show, you know, resilience as we go through. And then the, you know, the one place where, you know, can kind of tilt either way is communications. They've got obviously duration exposure, which is always problematic. But, you know, on the flip side, you've got a relatively steady cash stream. It's just a function of, you know, where does the, the cost base go? And for them, that's mostly an employment question uh, or cost of labor kind of question. But, you know, so we'll have to watch that. But I'd say technology and eventually financials I'd look for uh, to be somewhat better positioned. And again, it's sort of much as much dependent upon where the economy goes as anything else. So and then and finally, you know, you, you talked about this a little bit in, in terms of credit quality. But, you know, during a, a typical recession, um, you know, I don't know if we necessarily have a typical recession. They always seem they always are slightly different, obviously. But we we see defaults tend to pick up, particularly in, mm-hmm. in the, you know, the high yield distress space. Um, basically, there were almost was no distress debt for a couple of years, thanks to some of the government intervention in the last couple of years. What's the distress space like? And I know, uh, you know, one of the one of our colleagues that covers distressed in general, but but given you know how is that lower quality high yield stuff uh, doing, and and how worried are you that we might see a significant uptick in defaults in say late twenty three or twenty twenty four if we do kind of slip into even a relatively mild recession? Yeah, so I I mean so taking it maybe in reverse order, uh, you know I definitely think we're going to see uh, a new default wave, and part of that is is not only because of you know, what kept some of these companies afloat over the last 18 months, uh, but also a big push into the loan space. And because obviously in the loan space, you've got more floating rate debt, you know, with, you know, the, the you know, the LIBOR or whatever the reference rate is sort of moving higher. You, you had marginal borrowers now that have sharply higher interest expense that's going to really start to compound on itself as you move through. So I think we're going to get a not insubstantial uh, default wave as we get into 2023 and as we move through 2023. Um, we're starting to see a little bit of that get priced in, uh, less so in the loan space. I mean, pricing there has been a little bit under pressure. Uh, but in high yield, you see the share of distress, so bonds that trade wide to 1,000 basis points as a share of the overall index. We've just crept back above 5%, which is, you know, typically when these cycles peak, you're north of you know, call it 20 or 25 percent in terms of a share of the total index. So we're obviously still pretty sanguine. Uh, that said, that's from like one percent, you know, maybe two or three months ago. So definitely a shift in tone. And I would look for that to to persist and grow, uh, certainly as, you know, again, sort of both the interest rate component, the lower macro kind of environment in terms of slower revenue growth or or negative revenue growth, and then margin pressures from the inflation side. It's just sort of a Worst case scenario, I think, for a lot of these borrowers. So I, I definitely think we're going to see a little bit of a, a pickup, which, I mean, there's going to be a huge part of the market that's been waiting over a decade for it. So <laughs> Great. Well, that was Noel Hebert. He is the chief credit strategist uh, in the U.S. for Bloomberg Intelligence. Noel, thanks for coming back on Fic Focus. Always a pleasure. And now we pivot to the Fun Fed Facts segment with Angelo Monolatos. There's a lot of potential Fed Fund facts here. Uh, we just had the Federal Reserve meeting, as I noted yesterday. We had updated summary of economic projections. We had updated dots. We had 
a whole lot of things going on in yesterday's meeting, as well as obviously a uh, Federal Reserve that that said that they're not going to go 75 basis points every meeting, even though they went 75 basis points yesterday. And and uh, but uh, Jay Powell also noted that they remain hyper focused on inflation. Um, one of the points that that we've made um, and and that I've been making over the last couple of weeks is at this point, I think the Fed basically has a single mandate, and that is to get inflation down because they have the excuse that the employment situation continues to remain very robust. And obviously, with the Federal Reserve increasing interest rates and maybe trying to slow the economy, the, the probability that in the employment situation deteriorates at some point is is relatively high, and they probably want to do that ultimately because that's uh, unfortunately the, the the necessary outcome when you have a significant growth slowdown. But at the moment, um, they they're not so worried about that because of the strength of the, of the of labor conditions. So so the Fed is going to be focused just on inflation. I think that they're going to hike uh, fifty basis points a meeting basically for the rest of the year and probably continue to hike into twenty twenty three. We're looking at four percent or higher in terms of the the Fed funds rate. The market's kind of pricing for four-ish percent right now. Um, so so I'm, I'm not saying anything that the market hasn't already at least partially priced for. Um, but but I do think that the 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 bigger risk is that they go more than than the market's currently anticipating, and and I think that those risks go up significantly the longer in oil stays uh, continues to to rally. But with that, we have to go to Angelo Monolatos because I'm sure he has some fun fed fact and the facts that I just gave you were not fun. Uh, so what's our fun fed fact for today, Angelo? Yeah, so in the summary of economic projections, uh, we did see, as as we expected, an acceleration and a move up in the distribution of the central bankers' uh, dot plot. Uh, but something that's interesting is if you take the uh, if you take Powell's comment and then you take about 75 basis point hikes not being common and then you take the highest dot which is 3.875 that implies another 225 basis points of tightening this year as expressed through that high dot for 2022 which would mean over four meetings perhaps a another 75 in july and then 50s to close out the year so still a pace that's that's relatively fast and 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 perhaps July doesn't necessarily need to be 75 right like there's obviously a lot of ways you can get there you can go 50 in July and then 75 in September and and etc so but 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 to your point like at least one person thinks that there's going to be at least one more 75 basis point interest rate hike right i think that's the point you're you're trying to make um is is Talk a little bit about the distribution of the dots, right? Because because those changed a little bit as as well. Um, so if we look at if we look at dots go on the Bloomberg terminal, um, one of the things that I notice when when I look at at dots go is, um, you know, is basically you had a significant uptick in. Uh, or, or I should say a, a narrowing of the distribution for both 2023 and 2024 in terms of uh, in terms of both the median and mode of the uh, um, of the, the members dots. So so anything anything in particular stand out there for you, Angela? Yeah. So it's just it's just that what well, it was just kind of what you what you're saying there. So just looking at this year for now, kind of maybe we're a little bit too hyper focused on 2022, but um, the. The, meet, the central tendency is at three and uh, three eighths, but uh, three uh, point. There's also four dots, uh, one hike above that, which would imply um, 200 basis points of tightening throughout the rest of the year. Uh, or, uh, if we're just trying to think of it in easy terms, just 50 basis point hikes over the next four meetings. 
So that's something uh, interesting there. And we've also seen a nice um, rise in the distribution in 2023, where we have uh, three different clusters of dots. Uh, and we also we actually have four dots at uh, between four and uh, four and two eighths uh, policy rate at for the end of 2023, which I, I think is pretty interesting. And then we have one dot even above that uh, at 4.375. And that compares to uh, a high dot of in 2023 previously of uh, three and five eighths. So um, we have definitely seen an acceleration. We have seen that, but uh, uh, perhaps it's quite interesting that uh, the 2024 dots then shift downwards. So uh, they're going to get it. They're going to get into this ex ante uh, restrictive territory, according to this dot plot that they tell us to take with a grain of salt themselves. And then they're going to then they're going to uh, hopefully inflation gets back to range according to their forecasts and they start cutting uh, sometime in maybe late 2023 uh, or, uh, or 2024. Yeah, so that's one of the interesting things about the dot plot. You know, they always say like, don't take it as gospel, but and certainly, it's but but it is the the market participants' expectations given their summary of economic projections output uh, forecast, right? So so if you take the summary of economic projections, you can kind of figure out okay, the 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 members who think that inflation is going to be pretty high and employment is going to remain pretty low, they're probably going to have a higher dot than those that think that you know inflation is going to start slowing down more significantly, right? So so you definitely have this this whole idea that the um that that this is their expectations based on uh their their economic outlooks right which which is completely completely makes sense i guess the the question that i always have and and i'm not asking this isn't a question for you angela this is more of a statement for our listeners is we know at some point the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates, right? Because the growth will slow down enough. They're basically going to force this into, if not a, if not an outright recession, then a very significant growth slowdown and slowing down enough that they'll have to at least take back some of the hikes that they're going to do. I, I think the, the, the challenge for policymakers at this point is how do they express that and at the same time get interest rates high enough that they slow the economy without – Actually, crashing the economy, and and we, I, I was talking to a number of uh, investors yesterday after the Fed meeting, and one of the things that that uh, two of them brought up was the fact that we are slowing very significantly already, and that real growth may already be in a recession. Um, and and the the point that I made to them is something that I mentioned earlier um, earlier in, in the pod, and that's that the employment situation remains very good, right? And and because of that. The NBR and all the others who you know try to try to say here's when a recession started and here's when a recession ended. One of the big components of that is are jobs plentiful and and are people getting laid off? So if the unemployment rate remains very low, even if it goes up a tenth or two, they might not price a recession, right? And and that might not be the the worst outcome for the Fed. That the Fed won't mind uh, slowing growth and demand slowing in general and aggregate. Um, if the employment situation remains uh, reasonably decent, people have jobs, people are able to remain in their houses and their apartments, and people are able to buy food even though it's at higher prices. Like all of those things are are um, are, are good outcomes for the Fed. Um, I question whether or not they can actually engineer that. I actually think that we will probably be in a recession in late 23 or 2024. Um, but the federal, but but that's the only real cure for a stagflationary type environment, which is I think exactly where we're headed. Um, so, Angelo, any other fun Fed facts, or should we wrap it up for the day? Yeah, so something pretty interesting, I think, uh, we heard from Chairman Powell was about um, just uh, market real yields um, and where, where the, 
the sign of those? Are they positive or are they negative? Uh, so something else I know, grain of salt, but we have the dot plot open. We have the summary of economic projections open. So let's look at them a little bit more. Um, so yes, in 2022, uh, the, the quote unquote real yield, if you take the modal dot and you take the PCE and core PCE will be negative. But then if you look at 2023 and 2024, they are predicting a positive uh, uh, real yield. Um, if you look at their where the they think Fed funds will end up and where they think PCE and core PCE will end up on a one year lag basis, which has its faults. But it, does, it is interesting to see where uh, how market how the FOMC participants uh, view uh, their policy stance or their policy bias um, in the year, uh, one year forward and then two years forward. Yeah, I guess the risk there for 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 the Fed is that the inflation components don't drop as significantly as they project, right? So if if the um, if inflation remains above their their current expectations, then you know clearly they they have to hike more. But to to Angelo, to your point, I think what that shows is that that policymakers do know that they need to get um, rates into restrictive territory at least for some period of time. So so the anticipation is that okay, if if we want core PC, we think core PC is going to be at three and a half percent. Our modal dot is at four percent. Um, that, that's not quite the numbers, but but somewhere around there. Um, then, then we know that they want rates to be 50 basis points above where they are, where they expect uh, core PCE to be. Um, and so, so the risk, though, for the for that obviously is that core PCE remains stickier and higher than than uh, what they want, and therefore they have to hike even more. And I think that's the that that's the risk that I think we have to consider. I think the market really has to consider it. I think that's one reason why you see, you know, five year notes underperforming along the curve, for example. Um, and, uh, and, and one reason why I think that will invert the curve even more, uh, if that type of, uh, situation does in fact take hold. With that, uh, we've gone on uh, pretty long. We're just about at time here. So I'm going to say thank you very much to Angelo Monolatos and to Noel Hebert for coming on uh, this version of the FIC Focus podcast, Macro Matters Edition. I've been Ira Jersey. If you have any ideas for topics or anyone you'd like us to interview, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. And you can find all of the work from Angelo and myself at BI Rates Go. With that, until next time, be well. 